just read a scripture before we begin. Uh, it's Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 to 16. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And so my prayer this morning is that, that we'd come before the throne of God's grace, before the throne of a gracious God, which means you can come as you are. You don't need to fix yourself up and then come before the throne of grace. The throne of grace means it's a throne of unmerited favor. So you come as you are with whatever needs you have and God will minister to you. So I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind because this morning's uh, message, you could kind of switch off and go, well, it's just an information session to help me understand what does the scripture actually mean. But I really, I really want us to come before God this morning. And let him speak to us, let him minister in our lives. So uh, the title of this message is called Hairstyles and Head Coverings, okay? 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, and if you've read the book of 1 Corinthians before, maybe you were like me, and the first time I read this chapter, I had no idea what God was trying to get at, and so I just kind of wrote it off, put it in file 13 in the don't understand basket, and left it there. But uh, in order for us to understand this chapter, we need to understand what was going on in the church at the time. Otherwise, we really will have no idea of how to actually interpret this for our day and age. Uh, last week, Jen and I went to the Geelong Botanical Gardens. And we had a, took the kids there, had a walk around. And while we were walking around, there's this uh, kind of like a a gazebo structure called a cabman's shed. And uh, the cab, cabmen were like the taxi drivers back in the 1800s, and they had a horse and cart. And what used to, uh, apparently in Melbourne, the first taxi cabs uh, came in in around 1840, somewhere there. But what happened is, is that they used to cause chaos on the sidewalks because they'd try and park on the sidewalks, You've got a live horse playing up on the sidewalk. And on top of that, they were quite aggressive in the way that they were trying to get customers. So, so what happened is the Melbourne Council made a ruling that all the cabs had to line up in the middle of the street. So you'll often see these old photos of like Burke Street, Swanson Street, that kind of thing, with a row of horse and, and buggies down the middle of the road. And they had to stay there. And the customer had to kind of hail them, and then they came to the edge. They weren't allowed to cause chaos on the sidewalks. So what they did is they started building these shelters, these sheds, for the cabmen so that they could escape the sun and the rain and all that. They could sit there waiting for their clients, okay? And so there's this cabman's shed in, in the Geelong Botanical Gardens, and in it there's a photo and there's probably about 30 men standing in front of this shed from, I don't know how old the photo was, pretty old. But the thing that struck me was that every single one of them had a hat on, except one guy in the back row. And I actually said to Jen, hey, look at this photo. 
All of them are wearing hats except for that guy. And it was like, I thought to myself, he's in the wrong because everyone else had a hat, but he didn't have a hat. So I naturally assumed, hang on, there's something wrong with that guy. Like, why hasn't he got a hat? Everyone, everyone should have a hat. And anyway, so just keep that in mind uh, as we go into this, uh, into this teaching. But the key thing is, today, society has changed. Whether you wear a hat or whether you don't wear a hat today, it's really a non-issue. But back in that day, when these cabmen were around, it was a big issue. And in fact, when hats started becoming more and more unpopular, maybe because of the closed cars and all that kind of thing, you know, they weren't out and exposed into the sunlight and all that. And so the hat industry went on the, on the decline. But if you had to walk through certain hat-making towns, uh, like Denton in England, the, without a hat on, the workers would abuse you. The guys that worked in the factories, they'd verbally abuse you as you went down the street because their industry was going down. And here you are, changing society and not wearing a hat. And everyone supposed to be wearing a hat. And look at you, you rebel, walking down the road with no hat on. You're going to do us out of a job. And so today, society has changed so much that hats are really a non-issue. If you want to wear a hat, you can. If you don't want to wear a hat, you can no one even bats an eyelid. When you read chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, we need to understand that our society today has, is very different from what it was back then. And there were certain things that took place back then that are really a non-issue for us today. But back then, it was a big issue. And so before I read out of 1 Corinthians uh, 11, we're going to read from verse 1 to verse uh, 16. But before we read that, I want to just go briefly and have a little bit of a history lesson and explain to you some of the things that were going on in the day. Because I think if we do that, we understand the culture, then when we read it, it's going to make a lot of sense. So let's have a look. First of all, let me talk about hairstyles back in the day of Corinth. In, in Paul's day, a culturally acceptable hairstyle for a man was short hair, and a culturally acceptable hairstyle for a lady was long hair. That was the culture. Men had short hair, ladies had long hair. In fact, barbers were introduced in the Roman Empire about 300 BC. So that's 300 years before Christ. And it became very popular for men to have their heads uh, or hairstyle shorter, and uh, in fact, what made it even more popular was that all the Roman emperors cut their hair short. And so if you just do a quick Google search on Roman emperors, and you look at the statues of all of them, you'll find that every single one of them had short hair. All of them. They all had short hair. Some of them that were going even bald uh, had laurel wreaths, like Caesar, uh, Augustus Caesar. He he had a wreath on it to kind of cover up, you know, because he was even shorter than most. But uh, that was the culturally accepted hairstyle back then. In fact, to have long hair back then was a denial of your masculinity. That's what they believed. It was dishonoring for a man to have his hair long. It was a sign of weakness, or it was a sign that you were a homosexual. Back in their day, 
That's what long hair meant. Okay, if you saw someone with long hair, you were wondering what's going on. Short hair, no problem for a man. For ladies, it was the opposite. Long hair for ladies was socially acceptable back then. And they spent hours and hours braiding and getting their hair ready for the day. On the flip side of that, if you were a temple prostitute, you had bald. You were shaved, bald. That's to identify who was who. And that's the, that's the culture of the day. Not only that, but there was a law passed in, in uh, Cyprus, and it's believed that it was even wider afield in the Greek community in the Roman Empire, that if a lady was caught in adultery, she had her head shaved as a, as a thing to shame her. Okay? Now I'll explain a little bit more about that. So if you were a woman back then with short hair, people would either think you've escaped from a life of prostitution at the temple or you were caught in adultery and you've been bust and part of your punishment was to have your head shaved. That's the culture back in the day. Either one wasn't a good look for people in the church. Amen? A man with long hair wasn't a good look for the people in the church either. So that's hairstyles. But let me talk a little bit now about head coverings because this chapter is not just about hairstyles. It's also about head coverings for men and for women. This was the other issue they faced in their day, head coverings. There, there is evidence that some of the Roman emperors began covering their heads when they attended uh, pagan festivals, when they prayed when they made sacrifices and that kind of thing. And it was kind of a thing that they did to, to make themselves more, uh, can I say, powerful in their meetings because they wanted to show the people they weren't just like a civil leader, they were also a kind of religious leader of the day. And so some of these, some of these men in kind of high society or in powerful positions, when they went to these different ceremonies, they'd cover their heads when they prayed as a sign of, hey, I'm not just a civil leader, I'm also a religious leader. And so there are even some statues. You can have a look where they have their head veiled or have their head covered. Not everyone did this, but it was kind of like the, the, the men who took a leading role in, in government or in society, they started doing this. This was a trend that started changing back then. For the ladies... Wearing a veil signified that you were married. So maybe today, something that signifies whether you're married or not is whether you've got a ring on your finger. Or maybe you sit next to your husband in church. Maybe that's how people know. That's who's married and, you know, who isn't married. But back then, in public, a married lady wore a veil. That's where we get in our wedding ceremonies the veiling of the bride. It all comes from back, back in these days where brides would wear a veil, and then after the wedding, they would carry on wearing a veil. So for a married lady not to wear a veil was like, hey, why aren't you wearing a veil? What's going on? Are you like 
over in your marriage? Are you saying you're open for other husbands? Or what are you trying to say here? You know, they wouldn't understand. (laughs) Another thing that was going on back in their time was there was this growing trend for married ladies in the Roman Empire who are part of the elite in the Roman Empire to start having extramarital affairs. And they started coining a term, called it the new woman or new wives, like a new wives club. Hey, we're so bored with our husbands. He's a loser. He's a nobody. I need to go and have a whole lot of lovers all over the city kind of thing. And so the veiling... They would then ditch their veil and go and have affairs and, you know, be seen out in public with no veil because yeah, I'm part of this new movement where we're not into this whole one, one husband, you know, for life kind of thing. We've, we've modernized now. We, so there was this whole social shift going on in the Roman Empire at the time. And this is why the men were suddenly like, hang on a minute. Imagine now, these are all the elite of society, all the wealthy. So now you've got these powerful men who have their wives going and having affairs, and they're not happy about it. So what do they do? They appeal to the courts and say, we've got to punish these ladies. So as part of the punishment, we're not just going to say, hey, you've done wrong. You need to stick with your husband. We're going to shave your head to publicly shame you and identify you to the world around that, hey, you've been unfaithful to your husband. So that's where the shaving of the head came in because these men were getting upset with this new wives or new woman club that was happening in the elite. Okay, So that's a little bit of a background as to what's going on in, uh, in Corinth and, in fact, in the wider Roman Empire at the time. There is a lot more to it, but because of time and because I'm not really an historian, it would take too long to explain. But those are some of the key, key issues that going, that's going on in society. So I want you to picture this scene. I want you to picture that this church is the church in Corinth. We, we need to go back 2,000 years. Here we are in our meeting, okay? You all understand Culturally acceptable, short hair for men, long hair for women. Culturally acceptable, ladies that are married have a veil. Men who put veils on their heads, what are they trying to do? What are they trying to prove? That's something pagans do. That's not something Christians do. You know, imagine I came in here and now I've come forward to the mic. I'm going to bring a prophetic word, but before I do that, I cover my head. Everyone's looking at me like, what's he trying to do? Who does he think he is? Does he think he's better than all of us? Is he trying to show us that he is elite, that he's a leader, that he's a civil leader, something like that? And, and then you get newer believers in the church that are watching this go on. They see three people prophesy. One guy covers his head with a veil and the other two don't. And the new guys are like, hey, did you see that guy's prophecy? Man, that was a powerful word. That guy that covered his head, that was powerful. The other guys, well, that's, they're nobodies. That guy that covered his head, he's a somebody. I can see that. And this is what's going on in the church. They're going, why are these guys covering their heads? Do they think they're better than the other prophets? Why are they doing it? That's something pagans do. It's not something Christians do. And then imagine I walked in here with long hair. Now you're all thinking, hey, what happened to Russ? Like, 
What's he trying to tell us? <laughs> he, you know, has he swapped sides? Is he like, you know, what is going on here? Why has he got long hair all of a sudden? Every other guy in the church has short hair, but Russ walks in with long hair. And Jen walks in with no hair. Now what's going on? And all the ladies are like, I knew something was wrong in that marriage. I thought there was something going on. Now we know. She's had an affair. She got bust. I knew it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jen just thinks it's cool to have short hair. She's wandered in and causing absolute chaos in the church. This is what's going on in Corinth. And it is splitting the church. It's dividing the church. It's causing confusion. It's causing chaos. Because what is the socially accepted norm, some believers are just not doing that. And now there's all these questions. Oh my word, did you see so-and-so? Did you see Jen? She came in here, she shared a word, but where's her veil? Isn't she married anymore? What's going on? Why is she not wearing her veil in public? All the other married ladies are wearing their veil, but Jen walks in with no veil. Is it torn? Is it dirty? Is it in the wash or... Why? Why would you do that? <laughs> Everyone knows that in society, a married woman wears a veil. <laughs> this is what they're facing. And imagine the gossip that's taking place. See, they didn't know about the world's greatest shave, charity, eh? <laughs> that wasn't around back then. There were only two reasons for a shaved head back then. Only two. No other reason. And the church was struggling with this. A married lady had to wear a veil. A man shouldn't wear a veil. Now that we got this picture of what was going on in their day, let's, let's read the passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And from 2 to 16, Paul says this. He says, I'm so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. But there's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of, every, the head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. It's interesting. Paul talks first to the men. Many people think this is about ladies and what they're allowed to do and what they're not. But Paul says, hey, hang on. The men are doing something wrong here. That's the first thing I want to say. They dishonor Christ by covering their head. A woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. For it is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her head. But since it's shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or have her head shaved, she should wear a covering. A man should not wear anything on his head when worshipping, for a man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory, and a woman reflects God's glory. And woman ref sorry, and woman reflects man's glory. For the first man did not come from woman, but the first woman came from man. And man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. 
For this reason, and because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show that she is under authority. In other words, if you're married, the culture of the day said, wear a covering to show that you're married. You, what are you trying to say by not wearing a covering? That was, the, that was what was going on in the culture. Judge for yourselves. Is it right for a woman to pray to God in public without covering her head? Isn't it obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair? And isn't, it, and isn't long hair a woman's pride and joy? See, these are the culturally acceptable norms of the day. For it has been given to her as a covering. But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. So Paul ends off by saying, all the churches see life this way. It is culturally acceptable for a man to have short hair, a lady to have long hair, a man not to cover his head, a lady, if she's married, to have a veil. That's what he says. And he says, yeah, this is the same in all the churches. You guys are not just a unique bunch that can do things differently. They have no other custom. But today, things have changed. We no longer wear hats and short hair, long hair. It makes no difference today. Whether you want to wear a veil in church or not, it makes no difference. If you want to come looking like a Jedi knight, you can do that. If you want to wear that fashion, do it. <laughs> if you want to shave your head, do it. If you want to grow your hair long, do it. Those things are not an issue today, but they were an issue back in the church. So, so how do we read this chapter? Because the Bible is not a history book. It's not for his. It's not. Well, uh, let me say this. It's not only history. There's, there is history, but there's a principle behind the history, and we have to see what is the principle behind this. Otherwise, this chapter is totally irrelevant. We may not may may as well not have it in the Bible. Amen. This is not about just say if you want to read the history of Corinth, go and get a history book and read it. This is the Word of God. It speaks to us today. So what is going on here? What is the principle that we can pull out of this passage? Because clearly we don't deal with the same issues that they are dealing with now. The issue that's going on in Corinth is that the church members are not honoring one another. It's the same thing that's been going on and on and on through chapter after chapter, people are living for themselves. People are doing what they think is right. They're not worried about how it affects other Christians. So if I want to go and eat meat sacrificed to idols, I'm going to go and eat meat sacrificed to idols. I don't care whether you've got a problem with it or not. And Paul says you should care. You should worry about whether you're causing someone else to violate their conscience. You know? And, and so it's the same thing continued here. Now we've got people coming into church that, that are thinking, hey, so what? If I, if I look like I've, 
you know, had my head shaved and I've committed adultery. So what? What is that to you? That's basically what these Christians were doing. And Paul's saying, it should matter because we are a body. We're all interconnected with each other. In, in, uh, in, in Corinthians, we'll come to this in a couple of chapters' time, Paul says we are the body of Christ and each of us are a different part, but we're all interconnected. And when one part of the body does well, the whole body does well. But when one part suffers, the whole body suffers. And the fact that we're interconnected means the way you live your life impacts believers around you. None of us are on island. None of us can just say, well, who cares? I'm free in Christ to do what I want. No, you're not. We are part of a body. When you got saved, you were added into a body. If you didn't want that, don't get saved. If you don't want to live your life for other people, don't get saved. Because salvation is not a selfish thing. It's not about looking out for me, myself, and I. It's about becoming part of the family of God. That's what it is. And if you want to be in family, live like you're in family. So live in a way that honors the people around you. That's the key issue here in this scripture. Some of these believers were coming in saying, I'm free in Christ to do whatever I want. Remember we covered that a couple of chapters ago? Everything you say, everything is permissible for me. And Paul's saying, actually, no, it's not right. That's not right as a Christian. You, you cannot just say, hey, now that I'm a Christian, I can do whatever I want. No, we're a part of a body. We're a part of a community. And we've got to live in a way that shows love to our fellow believers. Because in doing so, we're honoring them and we're honoring God. <laughs> These things were tearing the church apart. Right in the beginning, Paul says, there's factions, there's divisions among you. Some of you are saying, I follow this guy, I follow that guy, I follow this guy. Now we've got other people coming into the church that are thinking, well, I can wear what I want, I can do what I want, I can say what I want. If I look like a pagan priest prophesying, who cares? If I want to come in and make my words sound more powerful by jumping up and down and hissing and shouting and saying, in Jesus' name, you know, to make my prophecy more powerful, I can do that. Well, no. <laughs> you can't. Because all of us have been bought with a price. None of us own ourselves. Amen? Jesus owns us. He's the head. He gets to decide how the body functions. That's the key thing. We're not independent of God yet. He's the head. And when Jesus says, I want that foot to go there, that's where it's got to go. <laughs> that's being the body of Christ. It's not about rules or regulations. It's about relationship to Jesus. It's about what He wants. It's about His way of living. He wants His values and His thoughts and His way of life to come into us and transform us so that we walk like He does. And we can be that mirror image reflecting Jesus to the world around us. And Jesus is not a, a contentious person. He might be controversial at times, but he's not contentious. He's not looking to like be a rebel and go, hey, hang on, let me, let me, let me come in here and let me throw off my veil and, and come and prophesy. Let's see the reaction on people's faces. Man, did you see when I walked in here with my shaved head? 
man, some of those ladies, their drawers just hit the ground. They couldn't believe it. That's exactly the reaction I wanted. Man, feels good just to be a bit cheeky in church. Eh? Something in us wants that. There's a little rebel inside of us that just goes, man, I saw that look on that guy's face. When I came forward to prophesy, I put my veil on, I looked around, and I could see they had an issue, and something felt good inside of me. <laughs> that's what's going on in Corinth, and that's what still goes on in the church today. We like to be on the edge, Ooh, a little bit controversial, and you know, I like to just have one. I, I, saw, the, <laughs> I saw this video, uh, in fact, it was yesterday. These guys in Israel went to this holy site. They got this big sign. You are about to enter um, holy ground, right? <laughs> Something like that. Take your shoes off. And the guy had his, he had his one foot through the gate, and the guy filming says to him, how do you feel? So he says, I feel half holy. <laughs> and we like to do that. We like to have one foot on each side. Let's see. Let's see who reacts. Because you know what? When I get a reaction, all eyes are on me. That's what I really want. I want people to focus on me. I want, I want people to think, you know, when I come forward and prophesy, I want people to give me acknowledgement. Come up afterwards, wow, that was powerful, mate. The other guys were rubbish. But you put that veil on and I don't know what happened. The power came down when you prophesied. Can I borrow that veil next time I want to prophesy? <laughs> this is the issue that Paul's dealing with here. Contentious people in the church. Society back then was very different to the way society is now. So these are not rules for us to go, oh, well, some churches take these as rules. All the ladies have to wear a head covering, like a scarf. That's not what God is saying here. He's talking about being contentious. What are the contentious issues that we face today? What are things that we see as socially acceptable and socially unacceptable? Let's live in a way where we don't cause other people to stumble. <clears throat> We're all connected. Paul says, among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men. And men are not independent of women. We're not on our own. We're all dependent on each other. We're all linked to each other. None of us are independent. But if someone rebels and wants to be controversial, it affects other people around us. It affects our family and it causes division and strife in the church. James chapter 3 and verse 13 to 18. James 3. Verse 13 to 18. It says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, in other words, if you're just living for me, myself, and I, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things 
are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, in other versions it says, wherever there is envy and strife, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure and also peace-loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. See, whenever Christians think about themselves and aren't concerned about the lives of everyone else around us, what this scripture is saying is you can be sure that behind all of that attitude is the devil. Whoops. That's what the scripture is saying. It's unearthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. If there is strife in the church, you can be sure that the devil is at work. If there is jealousy and selfish ambition, its root is demonic. It's not okay for Christians to be controversial. The heart attitude of a child of God is peace-loving, full of mercy, full of the fruit of good deeds. Someone who plants seeds of peace, not seeds of division. You come in and you want to plant seeds of peace. You want us to be united together. You want us to go together as a family, not come in and be controversial, divisive, living on the edge of something. And other people are struggling with it. That's not the heart that God has for His people. It's not the heart that He wants in us. Maybe this morning God is shining a light in your heart. Maybe, like the Scripture says, there's jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. Don't ignore it. Don't take it lightly. Don't just think, oh, well, it's okay. A little bit of jealousy never hurt anybody. God's word says that these things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. The way I look at that is in a scale of seriousness. Could be earthly, could be something in your flesh, just a fleshly desire that's a little bit out of control, something that hasn't been curbed. The, body, the Bible says that we're made from clay. Want to know how to make a human? Start with clay. That's what the Bible says, amen? He made Adam from clay, and he breathes his life. That's how he make a human. Simple. Could solve these scientists a lot of trouble. <laughs> it could be earthly. It could be unspiritual. It could be something more serious or something that's, that's not your flesh. It could be something in your soul. It could be your mind. Your mind could be corrupted. Your way of thinking could be wrong. And what God wants to do is he wants to renew our minds and give us the mind of Christ so that we can think like Him. So that we don't come and we understand, hey, it's actually not okay. I've got jealousy in my heart. Why? Something's wrong in my mind. Something's wrong in my soul, my emotions, my will, my intellect. There's something wrong. Well, praise God. His Word penetrates between spirit and soul and bone and marrow. It can get right into you and minister to you on the level of your soul. Or it could be really serious and you could actually have a demonic problem where jealousy and selfishness have become such a problem 
that no matter how many times you come before God and how many times you repent, how many times you, you, uh, you pick up your cross daily, you nail your flesh to the cross, this jealousy inside of you kind of takes over. Just like that. Something triggers it off. And before you know, it's like there's another person that's risen up inside of you and you don't know where it came from. It's not something you desire, but you cannot actually stop it. Well, praise God. If that is the case, Jesus says he has given us authority over all the power of the enemy. All of it. And so we have a ministry of deliverance where if it is a demonic problem, we have the authority to kick that illegal tenant out. Because this is what these things do. They sit there illegally. Yes, you're owned by God. The judge has given you uh, a, a paper that says, your body belongs to Christ, but I've got these illegal tenants. The judge issues an eviction notice, but I've still got them. I put the thing on the window, and these things don't go. Well, you need to bring the cops in, someone with real power and authority to drive them out. That's as simple as I view it. <laughs> the devil never plays by the rules. You make a big mistake if you think he does. If you think the judge issues an eviction notice and says you belong to Christ, therefore everything else is to go, forget it. He's not going to go. He's just going to sit there quietly and hope you ignore him and then cause as much devastation as he can. He needs to be evicted. It's either earthly, unspiritual, or it's demonic. And on any level, God has the answer. He has a remedy for your situation. And you can come before God. You can come before His throne of grace and, you can and mercy and receive the grace for whatever you need. doesn't matter how serious your problem is. We come before a powerful, powerful God. A throne of grace. A God who measures the universe in the span of His hand. My goodness. That's more than enough power. Amen? And we can have these things dealt with in our lives. Let's just stand. I really, I really want to just give us an opportunity now just to come before God. You know, you, God might be stirring something in your heart right now where you go, hey, hang on, there is something there. And I want it gone. Bring it before the Lord. Part of the Lord's prayer is this. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Deliver me from the evil one. Whenever you get... Whenever you want to pray, you can pray. And it's not like, oh, well, praise God, I got delivered 30 years ago. Well, maybe the things come back again. <laughs> Amen. Isn't that what Jesus taught? But we can always come before God and say, God, set me free. Renew my mind. Change these fleshly desires that I have, if it is that. Come before the Lord. Where there is jealousy, where there is envy, where there is selfish ambition, where there is strife, let's come before the Lord this morning. If there's something in you that is like, I really like being contentious. I like to be just that little bit rebellious. Let me just say, deal with it this morning. God wants us to be a humble people that live for Him and live for one another. That's what He wants. And when we walk in His plan, we'll see that it's actually good, pleasing, and perfect. When we deviate, we get ourselves into trouble. Let's, let's bow our heads. 
Um, I don't want to embarrass anybody by saying, come forward if you've got a major jealousy problem or a whatever problem in your life. You know, God knows, and you can come before His throne of grace this morning and just bring that before the Lord and say, God, I want freedom this morning. Jesus paid the full price so I can be free. But I want to stand on that this morning. Stand in the victory of Jesus. So whatever it is, let's just bow our heads. You will know if, if God has put his finger on something in your life. Doesn't matter how small, how big it is, he can deal with it. But right now there's an opportunity. There's faith that's been released this morning because of the word of God. Jesus has made everything possible. All this victory possible, all this healing possible by what he did on the cross. He absolutely annihilated the enemy. Now he wants us to walk it out. He wants us to walk in the victory that he's already won. So Lord, we come before you this morning. Every single one of us. Lord, if we're honest, there's a rebel lurking in our hearts somewhere. Every now and then it feels good to rebel, even in a small way. We also, we like attention, Lord. We like the eyes to be on us. But Lord, we know that you want all the glory. All the eyes should be on you. We must become less and you must become more. So we bring ourselves before you, just like your word says, we present our bodies a living sacrifice to you. We present our bodies, all of us, our flesh, our soul, our spirits, our minds, our, our will, our emotions. We bring it all before you. We put it before your throne. We say, God, here we are. Here we are, Lord. We're asking for you to come and minister into our lives. We want to repent. If we've been contentious, we want to repent of that. If we've been rebellious, we want to repent of rebellion. We want to repent for maybe trying to puff ourselves up and make us look more important than what we really are. We want to repent of all these things. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And now, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your divine nature. Fill us with your love. Help us to love other people as you have loved us. Help us to live in a way that promotes peace, that promotes goodness, that promotes kindness. Help us to truly love one another, where we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters around us. Help us to live in humility, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is so forgiving, so merciful. We thank you, Lord, that even though we don't walk a perfect life, we wander around a bit, but we have a perfect Savior. We thank you, Lord, you walk with us every single step of the journey. You're right by our side, ready to help us in our time of need. And Lord, we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for freedom this morning. Those of us that are struggling with with things that are, are earthly. Thank you, Lord, that you can 
you can change us. If it's unspiritual, you can change us. If it's demonic, you can set us free this morning. Lord, we call on you. If there are people here this morning that need to be set free, we call on you this morning for freedom. Deliver us from the evil one this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you, when you minister, you bring true freedom. We praise your name. We magnify you. We glorify you this morning. We pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Wonderful, guys. We.